Welcome to another edition of Destination Annapolis. I'm your host, Susan Seifried, with Visit Annapolis and Anne Arundel County, and I'm happy to have as my guest today, Edgar Herrera, Executive Director of the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Edgar. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. You joined the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra on the eve of its 60th anniversary year, and you've overseen the creation of a five-year strategic plan designed to help the organization emerge from the pandemic stronger and more relevant than ever before. Can you tell our listeners what it was about the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra that first attracted you to the organization? Sure. Well, the first thing was um, location, right? Location, 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 as they say. Um, we were looking for um, a place for our family, like, well, my family, my daughters are three years old, and we just wanted a friendly place for them to, to be raised. But more than that, it was the opportunity for growth. What I saw in the Annapolis Symphony is that it, it was very stable, which is always good. But more than that, I, th- I saw a lot of low-hanging fruit. And I thought, well, it's if this orchestra has been uh, fairly stable and constant over 60 years and I see the room for growth, I think this is where I can go. And also the other thing will be the leadership. So the board, the music director, the, you know, the academy, all of those things combined sounded pretty good to me. So. You talk about choosing Annapolis for all the qualities that Annapolis has to offer, but it wasn't a simple move. You were moving from Mexico and you did it during a pandemic. So you were taking a real leap of faith with the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra. I know my wife keeps asking me about, well, she kept asking me at the time, so why are we moving to another country in the middle of a pandemic? And, you know, to me, it was a no brainer. I mean, I, at the time, you know, um, we're talking about uh, summer of 2019. We were looking to make a change. We we actually wanted to um, to think about what's the best what's the best place to go for us as human beings to develop fully. At the time, it sounded like a very good idea. Then the pandemic hit, and then we were in the middle of the process. And then we just said, "Well, this probably is not going to happen because there are so many things against this." You know, but it actually did happen. And here we are. So So in May of 2020, you accepted the position and you worked from Mexico remotely until December of 2020. But then you made the big move, as you said, in the middle of a pandemic. Why are you the person for this job? I think what they were looking for was someone with with, um, the experience of uh, um, both music, the music business, but also um, being an entrepreneur. So in, in parts of my life, I, I've been an entrepreneur and, you know, what that means is that you take something from an idea and you actually make it happen and then you make it grow. You escalate your business. And I think what the board was looking is for someone who, who expand and to, you know, just take us to the next level. And I think that's why they selected me. I think that was the main difference. Besides being an entrepreneur, you also are trained as a concert pianist. So you have a great knowledge of the musical field. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your life? Sure. So music has always been part of my life since I have memory. I remember my dad just playing classical music for us. Um, I cannot imagine a music without 
I mean, a life without music. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. So at some point in my life in high school, I thought, well, I kind of know how to play the piano, but I actually want to really learn how to play the piano. So at that time, I didn't think about making a living, uh, being a pianist. But as, as I went through, um, through, uh, through my bachelor's and my uh, master's at UT Austin, I realized that, you know, what am I going to do after that? And I had to actually figure out what was next. And, you know, uh, when I was there, I organized a tour to Asia with some uh, fellow students there. And we went to Asia for about one month and we just played concerts there. And I organized the whole thing. And I learned, you know, you have to plan things out. You have to take care of all the details. You have to figure out the money, all of those things. And, you know, I, I, I learned. And then at some point, my professor told me, well, you did this thing. Uh, why don't you actually formalize your studies and go and, and get a, a, a arts admin a, a degree and a, a, an MBA? I had no idea what an MBA was. I, I didn't. I had to actually, actually search for that. And when I found out, I, I actually tried to, to get in, into MBA programs. I got rejected from all of them the first time, but I tried again. And I think by the third time I got in, into, I think, into Columbia, into, uh, there's, there's another one in, in Texas. And I got into Cincinnati and I went to Cincinnati and I did all those programs and I learned the business of music. And that's how I started doing that. And after you got those degrees, an MBA and an MFA, you also entered into a pretty amazing competition. The League of American Orchestras in New York City uh, at the time, and they were talking about 2004, they, they had for a few years then, I mean, they had had a program where they wanted to, um, to identify future executive directors of symphony orchestras or, you know, future executive directors of the arts, but more uh, in the music field. Uh, they wanted to find a way to train people to specialize in, in the symphony world. So, so they have this fellowship, which was really a, a competition where they selected some people that, you know, you, you had to go to New York, you have to go through some tests and interviews. It was very intense, very intense. And at the end of the day, you know, I got selected um, and I got a contract of one year to go and work with, uh, um, with the Atlanta Symphony, the Philadelphia Orchestra. There was another orchestra in Illinois. I went to the uh, Aspen Music Festival. And I basically got the chance to, to get a taste from the inside out into the actual daily operations and decision making that happens within an arts organization. And that was so good, but it was so hard because I basically knew nothing. And, you know, I, and I was 26, 27 at, at the time. So, I mean, I went to the Philadelphia Orchestra and they asked me to do this project and this other one, and then you had to figure out that that's part of the program that you actually have to figure things out. Um, but I think that was probably the hardest, one of the hardest years, years in my life, but it's probably one that has really changed my life for the best. So. so following that, you went on to be executive director of the Pensacola Symphony Orchestra before heading back to Mexico and working with your nonprofit foundation. So I share all that with our listeners because 
all of that comes together in one person, Edgar Herrera. And now you are in Annapolis and you are executive director of the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra at a time when most arts organizations are doing a a big reassessment of themselves in light of the pandemic and what will they look like when they emerge from the pandemic. And so the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra is doing the same thing right now with you at the helm. So what does that look like? What are all the opportunities that you see that lie ahead? And how do you see the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra is taking advantage of them? The Annapolis Symphony Orchestra is celebrating 60 years like this season, right? I mean, that's 60 years. That's a lot of time for an orchestra. And you know, what it means is that it it has always had the support of the community and it's been um, stable. However, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, I also think that we needed to adjust and to recalibrate, you know, who we are, I mean, where we're going and you know, imagine a future and actually imagine a future as, as tangible as, as you can uh, of, of what it will mean to be the Annapolis Symphony in five years or 10 years. And I'm talking about how we use technology, how we interact with our uh, patrons, how do we interact and engage with people under 40, under 30? Uh, how do we how do we create a program that is more than um, just, you know, someone going to a concert, sitting down in the concert hall and listening to music? That's, that's very unidirectional. We're trying to figure out how to engage. So there's a two directional engagement. So imagine uh, an experience where you as a listener can actually interact as music is happening with the orchestra, things like that. And I think now with technology, I think, there are so many opportunities, but before we go into actually implementing new technology, we are going out into the community because we've been based in Annapolis, but we are in Anne Arundel County, right? And we are in Maryland. Um, I think the city of Annapolis has about 60,000 people here. Uh, The county has about, I think 600,000. And I think uh, the state has about six, six million, right? So we've been really concentrating on Annapolis only. And I think that now we have the opportunity to take the symphony out into the community. So we're talking about going to Bowie and to Edgewater and to all other places that are within the metropolitan area. And we're taking the symphony out, meaning we are looking for partners to perform music together. I'm talking about choirs at churches. I'm talking about children choruses. I'm talking about uh, independent uh, musicians, all of that. So as we do that, we're gonna engage with more people. The most important thing for the Napoli Symphony in the next five years is to increase the number of people that have a relationship with us. Uh, We wanna make sure that the number of people who have um, some kind of interaction with us is much greater. If we can make that happen, and if that relationship has some um, real significance, or it means actually something for the people uh, compared to their, to their daily lives, I think we're going to be very successful. I know one of the offerings that you have and have had for years is the Masterwork series. So that will continue as you look to the future but it'll be a little bit different, won't it? Yeah, right. So when we think about the way 
the economic model is for the symphony. You know, how, how we um, efficiently use resources. Uh, one of the, the things that you have to be careful with the symphony is the number of rehearsals that you actually need to put a program. So for instance, to put a program together, uh, a masterworks program, we need at least four rehearsals. And that means you have to pay musicians for all their time. And that gets pretty expensive. So, but once you have the rehearsals, you can put one concert, one performance on Friday. Well, it makes financial sense to put a second performance because you don't have to rehearse anymore. You're already there. So we put a Saturday program and then we also per perform there. I mean, it is the same program, but then what we're trying to do is, is to add runouts on Sundays because we already have that program ready. So we're going to Strathmore in Montgomery County on Sundays at 3 p.m to repeat at least three of the programs that we have for the masterworks. And within five years, we wanna have eight programs, eight masterworks, and we wanna repeat every single masterworks on Sundays because it makes sense. Now that is what I'm talking about, uh, making sure that financially uh, we are good, but the, also taking the symphony out into the community. So that's one example of how we're doing it. You know, the, the single thing that is most important, just like for a for-profit, I think that the most important thing is to, to, to project your cash flows, to increase cash flow, cash flow for the future, because that will give you the resources and that will tell you, you know, what, who your clients are and all of that. For a non-for-profit, for an arts organization like the Annapolis Symphony, I believe that the single metric that we need to increase and to focus on is to increase the number of people who engage with us. Meaning if somebody comes to a concert uh, you know, now, even if they don't pay for that ticket, but if we get their names you know, and their addresses and their email and phone number, and we get them to come to another concert during the season and to buy a single ticket, eventually they might purchase a subscription and eventually they might give a donation. But more than that, they will talk about us. They will share that experience with their neighbors and the community. And you know, if you do the, if you do that right, the um, the 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 the, uh, uh, the power of 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 marketing that way, you know, of people just going out and talking about it is so big that you know you don't see the increments until two or three years from now, but it's really powerful. That's exactly what we're trying to do. You know, in thinking about the strategy of the symphony, and you know, the strategy of any business, I think. Um, you have to understand what your advantage is. You have to understand what your, I mean, what, why you are different and what is the thing that will make a difference with, with, uh, uh, with others. And in the symphony world, we are competing against, you know, uh, Netflix and uh, against, you know, just, just any other arts or forms of entertainment because we're really competing of how people use their time. So uh, thinking about what, you know, what are our advantages, one of the things that we can do is that we're very flexible in terms of programming because we are not a 52 week orchestra. We don't have all the constraints that you know, come with uh, having a, a, a year long contract with musicians. That, you know, what that gives us is a lot of flexibility in programming. And also it gives us the flexibility to do things uh, faster than bigger orchestras. So one of the things that we're doing is that we are 
um, looking to um, commission new works from composers. We just commissioned a work from a, a composer in, a, in, in Baltimore. Her name is Jessica Hunt. She's uh, brilliant. She's young, energetic. So we're, we're gonna have the world premiere, but more than that, we're gonna include that composition into a, a, a project that is about recording three new albums for the symphony. And we have a, 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 an agreement with a, a distributor in, a, in England that is gonna help us put all those recordings online in the whole world. So people can actually gonna go and be able to download and purchase single tracks of the symphony. Now, this is nothing new. I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel here, but we're actually doing it because it's not that easy to actually do it because you, in order to record an album of a symphony, there are so many things you have to think about, you know, uh, just, you know, what the music is, the, uh, the, the rights, you know, the licensing, the rehearsals, the quality, the concert hall, the recording. I mean, there are so many things. And that's one of the things that we're very excited. Uh, if we do this right, we're going to release the first album in December of 22. I also understand that you're going to be coming up with a new three concert series that part of your five-year plan calls for that. And that the music will be a little different than what people hear through the Masterworks series. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. So in talking to um, um, our artistic director and conductor, Jose Luis Novo, I mean, we were talking about the need to create a different um, uh, a choice or a, a, a different product that connects better or in a different way with audiences, with, with people who, who are not really into the classical piano concertos and all of that, which, which you know, I cannot imagine why now, but you know, there are people with other tastes, but you know, if, if you think about the modern uh, world, you know, where, where we live now and where, where do we listen to music right now? And it's really about, you know, music from the movies, music from TV series, music from even ringtones, you know, if you think about where you listen to new music, it has a lot to do with those kind of channels. So one of the challenges is that um, we need to figure out a way to bring those expectations into the concert hall, but we also have to find a way to engage people. So as I was talking about technology, we're thinking about a new concert series in Annapolis where we put a product out there that makes sense for people under 30 or even under 20 or in their 20s. So they feel compelled to assist and you know to just go to the concerts and say, well, this actually makes sense to me because I kind of have, uh, I identify myself with, with this. Now, um, I'm not saying that we're gonna do a music for the movies, um, but I'm saying we, need, we are talking about it right now and it's gonna be in contrast. This new concert series is gonna be different than from the regular masterworks. And we also think about, I mean, there are other orchestras that have a, a, what they call a pops series, which is really, you know, music from Broadway or, you know, just, just a popsy kind of style, you know, series. We, we don't, I don't think we're gonna do something exactly like that, but the idea, you know, the concept is gonna be pretty much the same because we wanna create something that is different from what we offer now. Um, we're also thinking about how to, how to better position ourselves 
in terms of music for families and for children. Uh, there's, I mean, there's great music out, out there. I mean, if just think about the music from cartoons, you know, from when we were kids, and I'm sure you can remember so many of those tunes. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. We need to, we're figuring out how to put a product that stays with you, with it in your mind for years to come. Well, that sounds a lot like the concert that you all gave at Quiet Waters Park on Labor Day weekend. That, that kind of music, that kind of venue, is that part of the vision? Well, see, see that's a good example of, of programs that work for families. But I mean, that kind of programs uh, works for people who love classical music, but who also like uh, jazz or uh, dance on or tangos. Uh, everybody can connect with those kind of, uh, you know, with, with those uh, uh, programs. Um, and if we play outdoors, we have to make it so it's, it's um, so, so you can actually dance, you know, at, at that, you know, at, at that concert, uh, we have some children that dancing in, uh, uh, in front of the orchestra and, and that was great. We're actually trying to dupli duplicate those concerts outdoors uh, many times in many parks in Maryland, because we we only do it once. Uh, why not? We just take that same concert that we want to repeat it as many times as possible. Well, talking about families and talking about young people, that makes me think about your Annapolis Symphony Academy. Tell us a little bit about that. So the Academy is one of the jewels of, of the symphony. It, it's one of the things that we're most proud of because it 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 allows us to actually get into uh, teaching, in, into forming new, new ways of understanding music with uh, children. So for three years, the Academy has been teaching uh, strings to uh, children. And this year, we actually just a few days ago, we launched the first free tuition-free youth orchestra in Maryland. So if you are good enough, uh, and you want to join a youth orchestra, now you, you can send your audition tape. And if you're selected, you're going to be able to actually rehearse and um, uh, weekly with Jose Luis Novo. I mean, so you have a professional music director who's going to be guiding you uh, with a youth orchestra. And we're, and you know, the youth, youth orchestra is actually going to perform at least twice a year. And we're talking about touring and we're talking about all that stuff, but just the experience of a child that comes with you know, with, with an instrument and sits down and you know has to interact and socialize and play music together with 50 other children there or kids. I mean, that's just unbelievable. And it's free. It is free, but you have to earn your place. The Academy is also um, launching a, a program that we call Discovery, the Discovery program. And that's for kids that are as young as four years old. And we want to, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that we share, you know, rhythms and singing and all the basics of music. So children are ready to start learning an instrument uh, later. At the end of the day, what we're creating is a continuum um, of, you know, of experiences for a human being. So as early as four years old, you, you will get come to us. And if you stay with us and you like it, you might you know, eventually join a youth orchestra. And if you want to go later and be a professional musician, you might come back to us and actually play with us as a professional. So, And in keeping with that whole 
effort to make music available to people of all ages and interests. You embarked on a get your magic sale with some neighboring arts organizations. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So this is an initiative that we started because we want to make it as easy as possible and as accessible as possible for everybody in the area to go to a, a, a theater night or to go to a concert. Uh, basically what we wanted to do is um, join forces with other arts organizations. Um, and we separated at least 10% of our inventory. And I'm talking about seats, 10% of the actual number of seats that we have in our performances. And, and we, we told the community, hey, you can select, you can choose any combination of seats for the symphony, for the theater, for you know all these other organizations, and then you can create your create your own package. Uh, you have to select at least three, um, but then we'll give you the best seats available for twenty nine dollars each. But we'll give you the best seats that we have at the time, and you know the response was good. I think because of the pandemic, it could have been better, and it will be better. But what it shows is that if you package things in the right way and you send the right message and the offer, the offer has actually some value, people react. And we got a lot of people calling and a lot of people going online. Um, getyourmagic.org, uh, that's the website. And we're gonna, uh, so, so we just finished that uh, 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 sale, but we're probably gonna do it again soon. And we're, we're going to try to invite more organizations to, to join us because I think we wanted a, in one place somebody just to go to one place and, and have the selection of all the arts in the state. And so for a start, you teamed up with Classic Theater of Maryland, the Ballet Theater of Maryland, and Live Arts Maryland, all good arts organizations. And I believe your vision is, as you said, to expand it to other arts organizations as well. So even with the pandemic, the pandemic has not stopped the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra from coming up with a wonderful season of performances. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So our 60th anniversary, right? So uh, one of the things we're doing is that we invited a former music director to guest conduct with us. So Peter Bay, he was music director with, uh, of the Annapolis Symphony in the late 80s, early 90s, um, right after Leon Fleischer. And uh, now he's the music director of the Austin Symphony in Texas. So I study, you know, in Austin, Texas, that's why I know him. But it just happened to be, you know, that he was a former music director here. I, I just didn't know that. Um, so he's coming for Masterworks too. So we have the opening night is coming up on October 1st and October 2nd. So that's like on Friday and Saturday. And Concertmaster uh, Netanel Dryblade, we call him Natty. He's going to perform the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. Now the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto is probably, I, I will argue, is probably the um, most, you know, the a beloved uh, uh, concerto. I mean, you, I cannot think of any other con concerto for violin that I like most. I mean, I, it, it's a great one. I, I, I grew up listening to that concerto. And I cannot wait for Nati to perform that. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and also he's writing his own cadenza. So he's actually composing, you know, the cadenza that he's gonna play, which is actually great. Uh, but part of that program too, 
Um, Jose Luis put a, a, a composition by my great-grandfather, Manuel Ponce, it's called Chapultepec. And that's a real, um, I wanna say the sounds and the, the way the, you know, the, 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 the harmonies and the, the atmosphere that you'll hear from Chapultepec are quite unique. I think people are gonna be uh, nicely surprised of, of, you know, for, for, for the sounds that, that, that they will get. And, you know, one of the programs that I'm most excited about too is uh, Masterworks 4 because Jose Luis is going to conduct um, uh, The Rite of Spring by uh, Stravinsky. Now that's a huge work. And the number of musicians who had to perform in that orchestra, I believe probably close to 80. Imagine all those musicians on stage. It's a really tough orchestra to, to I mean, a really tough uh, composition to actually make sound good. And that's a huge challenge for the symphony and I'm glad that Jose Luis is, is, is doing that with the, with the symphony. Um, I, I will say that it's probably the biggest number of um, musicians that have performed with the symphony ever. Um, so that's, that's gonna be great. That's gonna be in uh, April 8 and 9 of 22. And that's, we're gonna perform that at Maryland Hall Friday and Saturday, and then we go to Strathmore on Sunday at 3 p.m. And then we have uh, the final concerto it's Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number One, and then, and we have Olga Kern, a Russian pianist. She's amazing. She won the Vine Clavon Competition, which is probably the most prestigious piano competition in the world, and she won that competition with the Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto. So uh, it's going to be great. That's going to be on uh, May six and seven in in Annapolis, and then at Strathmore on Sunday, on May eighth. Um, so. Great season. You mentioned a little earlier about a performance that requires 80 musicians on the stage at Maryland Hall. That leads me to think about the orchestra and who its members are. Would you like to talk a little bit about how large it is and who participates and how long they've been with you? Sure. So, um, you know, the 80 musicians is for the Rite of Spring of Stravinsky, but I I, I think it's going to be bigger. I mean, I, I've seen that that uh, uh, composition performed with at least 100 uh, musicians on stage. So it, it's going to really make, um, uh, so, so the number of musicians will be determined also by uh, how many people we can get, I guess. Um, but it's going to be big. Usually we have, I would say between 65 to 75 musicians on stage. We have 60 contract musicians, but then we add substitutes as needed. Um, so that's going to be big. Uh, the Rite of Spring is going to be, so if, if you like big orchestras and big sounds, that's going to be one. And so if there are any musicians out there listening, are there any opportunities for them to get on board with Annapolis Symphony Orchestra? Oh, yeah. So we're looking for uh, a bassoonist, uh, the principal one. We're looking for a uh, harp. We're, I mean, we, we so if, if you're a professional musician, just send us an email because we're going to have auditions throughout the year and we, we need you. What can listeners do to most help the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra? How can people who want to get involved get involved? So this, the simplest and fastest way is just sign up for our, for our email list. I mean, it sounds like not a big deal, but once you actually sign up, it means that we have your name and then you will get information about the symphony. Um, 
then the other thing that you can do is just go to a concert, um, purchase one ticket and just go to, go to one concert. And, and, and if you don't go to a concert of the Annapolis Symphony, that's fine. Just go to a concert uh, to Strathmore or to other symphonies. We have the Kennedy Center, you know, really close. Just just go to a concert and enjoy it. I mean, try to try to think about not only the sounds, but the whole experience, you know, since you sit in there, try to change seats, try to pay attention to the brass or, or the strings. I mean, just just try to do that. And I, I bet you will really like it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that I haven't asked you, Edgar? Sure. Um, you know, I, I personally think that a life in music is really one of the best lives that a human being can have. I was saying that at the very beginning, I cannot imagine a life without music, you know, for myself. Um, and I cannot imagine life without music for anybody. And that that might be true or not, but I think that's the way our brain is wired and, you know, how we are, you know, as human beings, how we interact with the world. I think music has a very powerful place. And when you think about a human being sitting down and composing, writing down some music that you can actually then uh, uh, come, you know, uh, uh, bring to life with 80, 100 people that actually study music professionally. Then when you go to a concert uh, and you see all these people on stage and the conductor, I mean, it took a lot of work, but more than that, it took a lot of energy and brain power and, you know, years and years of, you know, practicing and learning. And all of that just for like one program, you know, 60 minutes of music just for you. So when you go to a concert, think about all of those things and I bet you will enjoy it even more. So I hope you can come to a concert. And the wonderful thing is people don't have to travel far to hear the quality of music that you describe because it's right here in their own backyard. Yeah, it is right here and you know, the Annapolis Symphony now uh, has re regular broadcasts on WBJC. That's the radio uh, station. Uh, that's 91.5 FM. Uh, so the next one is on October 23. That's uh, We always have those broadcasts on Saturdays at 6 p.m. So October 23 is the next one, then January uh, 15 and then February 19. And if you go and listen to the broadcast, I'll bet you that you cannot make you, you cannot hear the difference between the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra and let's say the Detroit Symphony, the New York Field, the Chicago Symphony. It actually sounds at that level. And if you don't believe me, go and listen and you'll see. Well, you'll hear. Yeah. Thank you again, Edgar, for joining me today. Thank you for letting our listeners know about the many exciting projects your organization has in the works to help enrich lives near and far with extraordinary musical experiences. My guest has been Edgar Herrera, Executive Director of the Annapolis Symphony Orchestra. Until next time, I'm Susan Seifried with Visit Annapolis and Anne Arundel County for Destination Annapolis. Annapolis.